Behold, our Advent theme. And as a part of the tradition of Advent, we light candles to mark each Sunday. And so today, we remember our first Sunday of Advent. And today, it is the second week of Advent. And I am mindful, I don't know if you are, I am mindful that this season of Advent Advent has been full of a lot of sporting events. Have you noticed? Uh-huh. There, oh, there have been some sporting events, one of which is the World Cup. It's a huge thing. There have been a lot of big games in the World Cup. There have been some ties. There have been some disappointments. In my house, I've heard a lot about the World Cup because my son, my son has been waking up that Thanksgiving week. I've got to wake up really early and watch all the games. I have to watch every game, Mom, because in case you don't have a teenager, you may not know this, there's a video game that goes along with the World Cup. So after you watch the games, you can play the same teams and countries on the video game. And so my son has been... waking up early and then staying up too late playing video games. And I'll say to him, go to bed. And he'll say, no, no, I got to stay awake and finish my game. I can't get really mad at him though, because his dad is doing the same thing. (laughs) In case you don't know, there are some big basketball games happening. And my husband loves basketball. So yes, there are a lot of late nights for him. I'm like, you need to stop watching basketball. And he's like, no, I need to see what happens with the Purdue-Michigan game. I cannot go to sleep. For me, though, I can't get too mad. Because guess what? I love college football. (laughs) Yep. And uh, I've been watching a lot of football. I can't get mad at him. Because what will happen inevitably is there have been a lot of big upsets in football. There have been a lot of big plays and a lot of big games. And inevitably, I want to stay up and watch all of them. Because I need to stay up to know who I can talk to on a Sunday morning and who I need to avoid. (laughs) But inevitably, what happens to me on a Saturday night watching football is I fall asleep. Even though in my head, I'm like, just stay awake. There may have been a game yesterday. (laughs) We're not going to talk about who played. We all know. But I will tell you this. I did not sleep through that game. I was awake. But there was another football game where somebody else fell asleep. And because of the timing, you may or may not remember. But in February of 2020... There was a Super Bowl, and at the Super Bowl, somebody fell asleep. And apparently, or supposedly, who knows, the guy who fell asleep, somebody paid $5,000 for that ticket for him to fall asleep. And if that's not bad enough, that somebody paid $5,000 and this guy fell asleep in his seat live at the game, if that's not bad enough, the team that was playing, Kansas City Chiefs. 
If you're a Chiefs fan, you know this already. The Chiefs that year were playing. They had not won a Super Bowl in over 50 years. They were behind and they came back to win. And this guy slipped through the entire thing. But if that's not bad enough, somebody took his picture. There was a woman who had her phone and she saw him sleeping and she took the picture and she tweeted it out immediately. And before that guy ever left the stadium, he had over 5 million views. (laughs) When that guy left that football game, he was famous and he was the last one to know it. Have you ever felt like you're the last one to know? Have you ever felt like you're the last one to get the news or you're the last one to hear about the event or you're the last one to see the post? It's because you are. It's been actually proven. Scientists have discovered that when it comes to in particular weather events, humans are the last to know. Somehow, when the air begins to change, when the wind changes, and when the earth begins to change a little bit, all of the animals know. And what happens are the fish, they start to swim deeper. And the bees, they return to the hives. And the birds stop singing. It's what we call the calm before the storm. And as humans, it's not until we feel that calm before the storm where we pull out our phone, we check out the weather app that we may or may not have paid for so that we can track it. Because we wanna know the exact day, the exact time and hour and intensity. But inevitably, the app is wrong. And so yes, there are times when we feel like we're the last to know because we do not know the day, we do not know the time, we do not know the hour it will come. But that should give us great comfort because to not know the time, to be the last one to know, it's scriptural and it's found in the book of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. You can follow along with me on the screens. But about that day and hour, no one knows neither the angels of heaven nor the son, but only the father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too, will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. 
Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Keep awake for that hour you do not know. Of course, this is apocalyptic language. It's called apocalyptic literature, and it makes a lot of people nervous. It makes them start to worry about the end of times. It causes distress, and so they want to put these types of things away. When in fact, apocalyptic language was meant as reassurance. It was written as a source of comfort. It was meant to say, no, you do not know the day, you do not know the hour, you do not know the time, but you have the gift of now. So be prepared. But honestly, why can't we know? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice? It's kind of frustrating not to know. I mean, sometimes I want to say, look, God, you're going to do something big. That's great. I'm going to need a heads up. I'm a working mom, so I'm going to need to know, do I have time to run that last errand or not? Just kind of, what do you think? Can I just finish this email real fast before you do that, God? I've got to finish this thought, please. Sometimes I just need to know. Because that's how we control things. That's how we put discipline around things. And so I want to say, come on, God, please tell me, because I have this huge calendar in my office. I have a spiral notebook calendar in my bag. And I have six different electronic calendars on my phone that I share with the appropriate people. So God, if you could just send me that calendar invite or a Zoom link, I'll get there. Unfortunately, the hour and time we do not know, and so we are told just to wait. And we call this time of waiting Advent. And what are we waiting on? A baby. A baby normally takes nine months, unless it's this December baby, and then you only get four weeks. Because that's what we do. We say to God, okay, God, you get four weeks of us being in the dark. You get four weeks for us to prepare. And look, half of it's already gone. So we're going to be looking for something big in about two weeks. There's something about us that we're wired. We don't like to live in the dark of not knowing. And so we only want to stay there four weeks. It's interesting though, because just this, week, I read about a story of a group of people who live in the darkness a little longer. It's not four weeks. It's actually four months. And people in this city, it's in Norway, and it's in the northernmost part of the world. And the city is actually called Longyearbyen. And everybody knows that about mid-November, one day the sun will set not to rise again for four months. And so the city lives in darkness. Now for me, can you imagine living in the dark for four months? I'm going to be watching TV (laughs) 
and I'm going to fall asleep. But do you know what these people do? They start to prepare. As soon as it's dark, they go into preparation mode because they know the sun will come again and they want to be ready. And so they spend four months preparing the entire city. On March 8th, all of the people of this town, they gather together in the hospital, right there outside the hospital. Now, in my mind, in my mind's eye, I have them on steps. And all of the people are gathered on the steps of the hospital. And I have all of them in my mind just looking out on their tiptoes, looking out on the horizon, just waiting just waiting. And as soon as the sun rises, as soon as the sun pierces the darkness, the town begins a week-long festival of light. We are in that period of preparation for the return of the light. And so what are we doing in the moments to prepare for it? If you don't know what to do, or if you're unsure of what to do, or you don't know how to do, Matthew is trying to tell us. Matthew gives us three different things, three different images. Matthew says, in the days of the flood, people were getting married. And there were two women who were grinding meal together. And there's an owner of a home who's trying to protect it. So out of everything chosen, Matthew says, what's important to pay attention to? Relationship, food, and home. The very three things we are waiting for in the gift of a baby are the very things that we should be doing now. Relationship, food, and home. Believe in me and you will feast at a heavenly banquet with the communion of saints because where I go, I will prepare a place for you. For in my father's house, there are many rooms, relationship, food, and home. And so today, what are we doing in those three things? In our relationships are we more worried about what they look like on the outside? Are we more worried about what other people might be thinking of them? Or are we more concerned about our commitment to them, our dedication to them, and the words that we are using, and the unconditional love that we are showing to the person in front of us when we totally disagree with them? And what about our meals? Are we lingering in them? Are we sitting in that food, that time of food, that time of sharing so that we can work through whatever we have to work through so that we can talk to one another and get to know one another? Or are we more worried about just getting to the next thing? In our home, are we more worried about storing up our treasures there? Are we worried about using our home to do no harm? Matthew is telling us the very things we're waiting for are the very things that we should be working on now. 
Matthew says, live as an intentional community, intentionally the way I ask you to. A few years ago, I was working at a church in a totally different state, not this one. And the denominational leader of the time of the area called the district superintendent. Our district superintendent decided that all of the pastors that he supervised needed to have a time of intentional retreat. He decided we all needed to spend time in a silent retreat. Now, if you've ever met a preacher, you know that did not go well. No, I know. If you know me, you know that didn't go well. I like to talk. I was really nervous. I was really worried about trying to be in silence. And so the whole drive over to this silent working monastery, I began to get worried. I began to sweat a little bit like, oh my goodness. And so I began just to talk to myself in the car. I was like, if I use enough words now, if I talk loud enough and long enough, then maybe I will wear myself out before I get there. <laughs> I pull up to this beautiful working monastery, a monastery that agreed to have all of us very loud United Methodist preachers come in. I pull up and as soon as I do, the silence hits me. And I realize Instead of winding down, I had geared myself up. I go in and I got checked in. They assigned me a room and then I went to the orientation, just like everyone was supposed to. So all of us United Methodist loud pastors, we went to be oriented. And this monk began to tell us our rules. He said, we just don't speak. You do not talk. You do not talk anywhere or anyhow or to anyone. Even in your rooms, you do not speak, even when you are alone. And he said, the only time you will speak is during worship. Well, as soon as that came out, you know there was a hand up. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the other pastors said, um, exactly when is worship going to happen? I'm going to need to set my alarm. In fact, when is lunch? When is dinner? Are we having a bonfire tonight? What's the agenda? Go ahead and just send me the schedule so I can make sure my alarms are set and I'm exactly where I need to be when. <laughs> and the monk said, oh, we do not have alarm clocks here. Do not set your alarms for anything. We worship at daybreak. You will know where and when to go by the signal. And then he says, your silence begins now. Immediately, all of us began to like silently bump into each other like, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> because we're going to be there about two and a half days, I decided to get my bearings. I started to walk the grounds. And as I walked the grounds, I found this beautiful garden, exactly what you would think of in a beautiful working monastery. 
So I saw this garden and in the garden, there was a bench. And so, you know, I sat down on that bench and I thought this is the perfect place for me to be in a state of quiet prayer. And I sat and I began to pray and you know what happened. I fell asleep. And I know I fell asleep on that bench because I woke myself up. And I know that I was sleeping with my mouth open because I woke myself up choking on a bug. That was like my John the Baptist moment, you know, the guy that eats wild honey and locusts. That was my one and only John the Baptist moment. That's as close as I want to get because I realized in that moment I eat several bugs. (laughs) And as I'm trying to be like, oh my gosh, and I'm cleaning up, I look over and behind the tree, there's a monk and he's silently giggling at me. This monk had watched the whole thing and he was silently giggling. And I could not use my words to justify myself. I couldn't say, well, you don't understand. I was praying. Okay, I fell asleep. That's not normal. I couldn't say anything. I just had to sit there and look at him. Eventually, he walked off. And after I gave him a little room, I began to leave. (laughs) Later that night, went to eat dinner, took my tray, and I went down the line. And very quietly, I would look at the person serving, and I'd be like, "Mm, not that. Do not give me that. Or, yes, I'm going to need that. I'm going to need more of that, please. Got my tray. I went into the cafeteria, and I just saw this sea of Protestants. And I thought, if I sit with one of them, I'm going to break. So I went over and I found a corner by myself at a table and I sat down and I began to eat. And sure enough, guess who sat down with me? My giggling monk. He looked at me and I looked at him and we ate in silence. Went to bed that night or went to my room that night, very concerned that I would miss worship. Very concerned I would miss my opportunity to say something. And so in my mind, I kept saying, stay awake. Just stay awake. Just stay awake. Inevitably, you know what happened. I fell asleep. All of a sudden, I don't know the time. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But I heard a knock in the door. The giggling monk woke me up. He waited for me. And he walked with me. For the next two and a half days, so began our routine of eating together and walking together and being together. Without ever saying a word, he became my friend. We shared a meal, and he made me feel like I was at home. Without ever saying a word. And without a word spoken, somehow all of us in the morning gathered in the darkness. Without a word spoken, we all were gathered in this beautiful chapel. And we were all standing there in the dark, looking out of the glass, just looking at the horizon, waiting. And as if we all saw and heard this signal at the same exact time, as soon as the light broke in, we sang, we bursted into song, we bursted into words, and we bursted into worship. 
We are the people of Advent. This is our event. We are not the last to know about this one. This one is ours. We already feel the change in the air. We feel the wind changing and we know that the earth is gonna shake. This event is ours. There is no reason that anyone should be the last to know. And so now it's our turn. It's our turn to go and to wake someone up, to nudge them, to encourage them, to walk with them. It is our turn to be the ones to befriend and to eat and to protect. It is our time somehow without knowing how or why or what time of the day or night, not knowing the exact hour, it is our time to all be gathered waiting for the signal for the sun to return all while on our tiptoes. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, you are a God of all things and you are a God of Advent and of waiting. And so may you be in our waiting today. May you be in our preparations today so that somehow through it all, we can sense your presence and hear your voice calling us to something more. And this day, Lord, as we are mindful of our relationship with you, the food that you have given us in the home of this church, we say thank you, but we also say may we know that we can make it on earth as it is in heaven. And so give us the opportunities this week to do it. And Lord, we are also grateful for a time of communion so that we can bring all those three things together just in the form of juice and this bread. So may we be mindful of it. And may we remember that on the night in which your son did indeed give himself up for us, he gave thanks to you, broke the bread and said, take and eat for this is my body. And we know, Lord, when the supper was over, he did the same with the cup. And so today we are so grateful for a time that we can have the blood of the new covenant poured out for all of us. And so we are doing this in remembrance of the many times we have before. So we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. And may they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of your Christ, redeemed by blood. We ask now that you use this moment of communion, of receiving as a time to imprint a message on us so that we may be better for you. Amen.